It is the 200 level episode 107, 106. It was called Thursday Night Lights as we did a little dirty dream, kind of, with the 10 game Illini football schedule. And as we sit here, what is it, four or five days later, unfortunately, this episode is called Lights Out. From Thursday Night Lights to Lights Out. Not the podcast I wanted to record, and it is a little presumptive because as I record this on Monday morning, it's about 10.30, as of now, there has not been a cancellation. For all I know, we're going to get one as I'm recording this, or it's going to be later today or Tuesday morning, but it is imminent. 12 of the 14 Big Ten teams, Big Ten presidents, I should say, voted to cancel the season or at least postpone it. The only two that did not, Nebraska, Iowa, okay, fine. That's not good if you were looking forward to football, but there's a lot of reasons that we're in this place and a lot of frustration all around. And one thing I want to start off this podcast with is I'm I'm coming from a place of trying to build a bit of understanding for all these different points of frustration and all the different places that they're coming from, trying to understand that we all are frustrated to be in this position. That is the common ground that I think everybody shares in all of this. It has been troubling in some ways to find certain narratives being pushed, certain blame games being played, and seeing that the onus of the conversation is gravitating towards something that has nothing to do with why these decisions are being made, why we may not have football to look forward to this fall. I hate it. I hate the fact that, no offense to this podcaster. <laughs> I hate the fact that it's going to be a fall where there's probably not games to talk about, where just like we've done the last few months, we need to pick and choose other things, areas of focus that have something to do with sports, but aren't necessarily directly sports related, because there may be, yet again, an absence of college sports. And I hope that professional sports can kind of stem the tide a bit and give us that bit of stimulus that we need, that we usually have in the fall. Though that's no guarantee either. Regardless, as I sit here on this Monday morning and trying to wrap my brain around everything that's happened the last four or five days, I will do my best to try and take different perspectives this episode and try to come to a place of understanding why certain people, places, and things are being blamed for this situation and not point fingers or cast aspersions at anybody for their views or opinions, but no doubt this is probably going to verge a little bit on the political. And there was a tweet that I got this morning from Ethan, who I met before, very nice guy, a uh, local guy that listened all the way back in 93.5 and was defending me from, I wouldn't call it an attack, but let's just say a tweet, I think from David Thiessen. David Thiessen came back out of the woodwork today. And Ethan said, you know, Mike's a good guy, good musician. I I wish he wouldn't do the political thing so much, but as I responded to him, and this is the God's honest truth, and if you wanted to go pour over all the old 200 levels pre-pandemic or anything on 93.5, you would have a really hard time finding anything political. I think the only times that it ever verged on that was back when the Colin Kaepernick thing started, but even then, I was really touching that with the 10-foot pole and kind of using soft language with it. Certainly, this podcast has evolved. And I understand that part of it is not for everybody, but it is impossible to look at this situation and not include the political. Because unfortunately, the absence of sports, something that I love, that you love, you wouldn't be listening to an Illini podcast like this if you didn't love live sports. We've been robbed of that. We've been robbed of many things. And the reasons are often political. That's where this show 
has sort of delved into that, not out of any situation where I've wanted to, but it just felt like it was necessary to start touching on some of these things. So we will certainly do that today, but I don't want that to be some sort of red alert, stay away, danger Will Robinson, I'm going to go listen to something else. I hope that you stick around for this one because it is going to be an effort to try and offer some hope, perhaps, that there is a common thread or a hook that all of us can latch onto in an attempt to bring sports back. We want it back. We also want it back safely. How do you do that? Well, I'll leave that to epidemiologists, but there are probably things that we in our own communities and in this country can do to accelerate that process. All of that and more. This is going to be a very off-the-cuff podcast. It's just me today. We'll get a guest later this week, maybe Harry or Trevor, depending on their schedules or somebody else, but we're still trying to kind of pick up the pieces and figure out what has happened because it has been a whirlwind four or five days, and from the highest of highs, even the unveiling of the Ohio State-Illinois debut on Thursday, September 3rd, to this, the lowest of lows. That's what it is. We are on the cusp of no college football, and that is something that I don't think any of us would have wished for. Before we get to this upbeat podcast, shall we say, we'll try to bring the optimism. I'm going to try my damnedest. I do need to remind you that the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe online at dpdoe.com. For all the best deals and prices, go to their website, dpdoe.com. They got custom zones with any topping you want. They got the favorites like the Maui Wowie, the buffer zone. Those are two of my favorites. They get dipping sauce with your calzone. And best of all, they will deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana online at dpdoe.com. Also, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguide.com. Life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it. But not only are Brian and his staff insurance experts, they are local products. They are from the Champaign-Urbana area. They know a thing or two, not just about insurance, but this community. So go to brianismyguy.com for all the information. Trevor Valise's favorite domain, brianismyguy.com. And finally, 4th and Kirby, online at 4 Kirby.com. Now, I've been teasing the new designs that they have coming out, including Illini football designs that are sick. Even if this season gets postponed, let's say, until the spring or just gets outright canceled, why not buy some new swag? Because on these fall Saturdays, I'm going to need something to remind me of better times. In 4th and Kirby, they got vintage-inspired Illini t-shirts. I cannot wait until you get a look at these new designs coming out shortly. We'll let you know when they drop. But in the meantime, head to 4 use coupon code 200LEVEL or THE200LEVEL for 10% off your order at 4 Illini Inquirer, Champagne Showers Podcast Network partners of the 200LEVEL. Got to thank everybody, the sponsors, um, Jeremy at Alana Inquirer, the guys over at Champagne Showers Podcast Network, that's Boswell, for the support and also the listeners. We got a couple new reviews on iTunes, one that was uh, very, very kind. Someone had said that they had put a review in in the fall that was like three stars, said that the podcast was too negative. <laughs> I've heard that before. I have heard that before. And I think that would have been probably when the team started two and four. And he said, I got to reevaluate. He's like, this podcast has really evolved and tackled some difficult subjects. And it, it was a very nice and honest review. And I appreciate it because I understand as we have broached different topics that it's not going to be for everybody. And, you know, the numbers bore that out early. And I, I know part of it was the fact that there weren't live sports. I also know that when I talked to Iowa and Kofi, boom, biggest episode of the summer. You know, that, that's just the way it is. And as Illini fans, we consume Illini podcast, columns, websites, whatever it may be, 
because we want to hear and talk and see about Illini sports. So when things veer away from that, I understand the inclination to tune out and say, eh, whatever. But I really do appreciate those that have stuck around and listened to some of these podcasts, whether it be the interviews back with Carrie and Antonio and Ryan Baker to touch on some of the racial issues, whether it be the epidemiologist, uh, Professor Jacobson, not the epidemiologist, but Professor Jacobson, who works over at the U of I, he was the one that came out with the initial article that between three and seven, I believe, college football players would die uh, if this season were played. Yet he still was one of the mindset that you could pull this off. Uh, And I think that's a nice little bridge here into what today's episode is going to be about, which is being on the cusp of a canceled college football season. This is not something that I would have envisioned, certainly not back in March or April, but even as we got into early June, it did feel as if things were beginning to get under control. At least within the state of Illinois, we saw the numbers get really low. They are gradually creeping up in a fairly ominous way. But it felt like, okay, maybe that was the first wave, and maybe we kind of curtailed it, and we got down to a valley where we can begin contact tracing and all of that. Unfortunately, that's just simply not the case. And this is where I want to begin in terms of, I guess, a blame game. I said earlier, it's not necessarily about a blame game, but There are certain factors here that need to be addressed. Why are we, and I say we, the United States, the worst country in the world at containing this virus? Now, there are factors like, let's just say, the geographical spread. We got 50 states. We got a ton of space. And no borders within this very large continent, right? You move freely. Even with the quarantines that were in place or the travel orders, it doesn't really matter. You can't really enforce that. So it is understandable why it would be more difficult to curtail a virus in a geographically large country like this, as opposed to, let's say, Mm. Germany is an example of a country that's really done a good job, far smaller than the United States. That's one factor. I think the other factor, just quite simply, is that we have, as a country, always valued personal freedom and this idea that you can do what you want when you want. But this is where it begins to get a little tricky for me because that freedom element, and that's a word that's been thrown around, I think pretty loosely and has kind of lost its meaning in the last few months. Freedom for you ends where my health and safety begins. And we could use the seatbelt analogy, which we had before in the show, that the seatbelt laws back in the day, that was a huge issue. How dare you infringe upon my rights to not wear a seatbelt? Well, at the end of the day, someone dying in a car accident There is a large social cost and also a personal cost. If you're on the other end of a car accident and that person goes sailing through the windshield and they die, well, the other person, whether they were at fault or not, they're going to be messed up for the rest of their lives. So this is a cost that comes with not wearing a seatbelt. Hence, the laws that are in place, click it or ticket. I remember that back in the day. And it has ultimately saved many lives along the way and probably millions, hundreds of millions of dollars that would otherwise be used from taxpayer money. You know, healthcare for people that get involved in these accidents, get life-threatening injuries because they didn't wear a seatbelt. That is one reason why we have that. Same with smoking in bars. I remember actually going to bars for about nine months before that law came into place in Illinois. It would have been the summer of 2006. I think they finally instituted that law. But I do remember coming home from CEOs and Clyde's, and my North Face stunk of cigarette smoke. Now, if I had went long enough and often enough to these different bars, then there would be a chance that inhaling all that smoke would become a health hazard for me. 
yet again, your personal freedom ends where my health and safety begin. That leads us to this. And when we talk about COVID-19, you've seen people, Clay Travis, others, of course, that will throw out a lot of different apples and oranges arguments, or I dare to say red herring arguments, which means that essentially someone poses a a debate question or they uh, pose an argument and you counter with something that has nothing to do directly with it. One example of a red herring argument, and I use this back in the day, I think we've all used this, is the drinking age should be lowered to 18 because if you can go and die for your country at 18, you should be able to have a drink. Well, I think we all agree on some level with that, but unfortunately, serving in the military and having an adult beverage, those are two very different things, and that doesn't further the discussion. And I've seen from Clay Travis and other people the argument that, and actually someone that followed me after I tweeted out that I was, I appreciated Unit 4, the Champaign School District, going remote only to start the year, because right now that seems like the only safe viable option to ensure the safety of everybody, including those in the community. And the argument from this tweeter and Clay Travis would often be, well, X amount of people die in car crashes. X amount of college students die from alcohol-related incidents. And I find that to be a very disingenuous argument. For one, when we get in a car, we all know the risk. We assume the risk that anytime we get behind the wheel and leave our driveway. We assume that risk. We understand it at this point because it's been around for decades. We know what driving in a car brings in terms of risk. Same thing with underage drinking. That is a problem that's been around for a long time. Unfortunately, it continues to happen. There's no easy fix for it. There's no vaccine, certainly, for underage drinking. Uh, And it can affect other people's health and safety. But for the most part, the health and safety is mostly affected by that 18, 19-year-old kid who had never partied before, who has to go to the hospital, get their stomach pumped. That usually stays in their sphere. But we're talking about a transmittable virus or transmissible. I don't know which one it would be but one that goes from person to person. And it would be very disingenuous to start talking about car crashes and alcohol uh, consumption from minors or, you know, that bringing that into it muddies the waters when what we're talking about is a disease that is essentially 10 months old, that we don't know everything about, that we are still continuing to learn about and finding out that even if you don't die from it, there can be long-term effects. That is far scarier than, let's say, the flu, which that was an early talking point for many. It's just the flu. And yeah, you know, a lot of people susceptible to the flu are susceptible to COVID-19, but we know what the flu is. And while people die from it, it is something that, again, is a known factor. It is a known quantity. This is not. COVID-19 is not. And the biggest unknown of all in all of this was transmission from student to student. And that could be from the elementary to the high school to the college level. You bring athletics into it. We didn't know what would happen if we do this because we didn't do it in March and April and May and throughout the summer. And there are anecdotal examples. Iowa, they had their baseball season for kids and apparently went off without a hitch, even though I still think something like 6% of people contracted the virus. Fortunately, no fatalities. But that is one example. Do we really want to turn college campuses and football performance centers into laboratories. And that's essentially what we would be doing with all this. The risk is unknown. It may be small. It may be large. But we don't know these things because we did not go through it in March, April, and May out of an abundance of precautions. And I understand why we did it then. I understand why there's a movement to do it now. But all that said, 
you can look at other countries. And I tried to find a couple of examples of why maybe America is so behind on this, how big we are geographically. Okay, that might be a very lame way to start because I don't even buy that so much. Or the fact that we have this individual freedom kind of mandate, like you do what you want to do, come hell or high water, you know, don't tread on me. It's all ingrained in us in some way, shape or form. We've been taught that from a young age. Unfortunately, it's manifesting itself in very selfish ways right now. So as we sit here, who to blame? Well, certainly we can blame individual actions and we've all seen it firsthand going to the store and seeing people, especially let's say a month and a half, two months ago when this was a mask debate and just wait until history books are including that. When I got to tell a kid that I'm teaching in 2045 or 2050, I need to explain to them that we had a debate during a pandemic about whether it was okay or not to force people to wear masks in public. And they're going to think, what? What was the matter with you people? Good question, Johnny. I don't know. But that was 2020 and people decided to get a stick up their ass about wearing a mask in public. But who to blame? (laughs) This goes to the top. This is the political part of the show, and I'll try to keep it brief. It is essential to have strong leadership in times of crisis. We don't have that right now. We have someone, President Trump, who is anti-science, anti-intellectual, who is a narcissist. You can put a bunch of different labels on it, but it would be hard-pressed with all the evidence in front of us to say that he is pro-science, that he actually has empathy for other people. He is yet to show that in nearly four years as president. So when you come to this, it's not about the pandemic for him. It's about the economy and the election. Lives lost doesn't really matter. In fact, he said on that interview on HBO, the Axios interview that is well publicized, it is what it is in terms of the 150,000 plus deaths. It is what it is. For him, it doesn't matter. He has not lost a wink of sleep over this. Rest assured, he's sleeping just fine. Or if he's not sleeping fine, it's certainly not due to the amount of death. And that goes to my biggest concern about all this is that leadership matters, elections matter. And in this case, we have someone in there that is just incapable of leading us through this, has no interest in fixing the problem, thinks it's all going to vanish, disappear. He said that multiple times that this virus is just going to disappear while all the experts say, no, it won't because viruses don't just disappear. I could get into silly things like the bleach, hydroxychloroquine, however you say it, but I'm not going to waste any more time on him. It just goes without saying that leadership matters because from that leadership, you get messaging you get a craft a narrative and try to get 300 million plus people on board with an action plan. And it's amazing that the country, that back in 1941 through 45, banded together like they did in World War II. All the sacrifices made back then, and I know this is an easy example to make, but I'll use it. The greatest generation, right? They're able to make all these sacrifices, and yet here in 2020, we are unable to simply put on a mask. That's something that we get all pissed off about. We've seemed to have lost any sense of community, of caring for other people. I've noticed many times in this discussion, we talk about 150,000 plus deaths. I think it's over 160 now. And how many of those are just nursing home deaths? As if that absolves us of responsibility. Ah, they were 85 anyways, who cares? To me, I find that to be, just from a humanistic perspective, very depressing, very nihilistic. Well, they were old. Yeah, let them die. They're in the nursing home. And I know that's not necessarily the intention of people when they revert to that. Well, you know, 40,000 of these 160 were nursing home deaths. So whatever the number may be, it is fairly significant. But it seems callous to view it like that. 
you know, th- this is a death count that if you would have told any of this in March or April, we would have been scared to death. And yet somehow, like a frog in warm water, that old trick, we are immune to it. And I'll be honest, I'm even one of them. I tend to not think about it perhaps out of a you know defense mechanism. I'm not even sure. I try to maybe avoid the cold, hard facts that there are 160,000 plus and counting that are now dead because of this virus. You know, this was going to hit us no matter what. And there are days where I curse the pangolin or whatever it was in China that this came from. <laughs> Damn you, pangolin. You kept me from seeing Rage Against the Machine this summer. Listen, all the selfish things do come out and that's okay to let them come out sometimes. I wanted to do this. I wanted to do that. You can be angry about that. You can be ticked off that certain things that you had planned for this year are no more and that we are essentially in the middle of a lost year. But did the entire year have to be a lost year? I don't think so. I look at European countries and how they are returning to some sense of normalcy, certainly with masks and precautions, but they're getting there. I see New Zealand, and I know that's an apples and oranges comparison, but I see New Zealand begin to have sporting events with spectators, concerts with spectators, normal things because they are not transmitting the virus anymore. There are hardly any new cases, and when they do pop up, they have contact tracing and the ability to keep it from growing. That is pretty impressive. And it's no surprise that not every country is like that. But we're the richest country in the world. I grew up being told, whether it be directly or indirectly from parents, people I know, from teachers, from ads on TV, from talking heads on TV, not the band, but you know, media personalities, that we're in the greatest country in the world. And in many respects, I still believe that because of the ability to, let's say, come on here and say that the president stinks and he screwed us all over. We still do have that ability to talk freely and think freely, and that is a luxury. And I don't want to diminish any of that. But I think wishing better for this country, that doesn't make me unpatriotic. That doesn't make me some sort of anti-American person to think that, yeah, we, in fact, we probably could be doing far better in our treatment of this pandemic and making sure that our citizens are safe. And, you know, if this were a war and a smarter man than I came up with this analogy, but if we were actually in a war and Trump were a wartime president and his job was to save American lives or protect American lives, he is failing miserably at it. And all for what? You know, the economy opened things back up too soon. Look at where that got us. There was no first wave. We're still riding that first wave. So I see a lot of frustration. You know, I certainly see frustration towards Trump. God knows I have it. I think of all the things that I could have been doing, maybe not over the summer, but maybe in the fall coming up, if only we had actually taken care of this thing. That's where my frustration comes in. My frustration comes in the fact that my parents, out of uh, an abundance of caution, have had to stay home, work from home. I've been able to see them outside, but I haven't been back in the house in which I grew up in since... Well, God, it would have been February by now. And thinking about how my dad and I walked into the Illinois-Iowa game on March 8th. And I didn't know that that'd be the last time I'd see him for about two months. Again, out of an abundance of caution, and we probably could have seen each other. But you know what? We were actually abiding by what the experts told us to do. And it did begin to help things. It began to get things to a point where if we would have been able to just finish the damn job, we could have maybe gotten contact tracing or effective testing, all that sort of thing. 
when I say we're at fault, you know, we, I guess it could be the country, it could be individual actions. But at the end of the day, I really do think most people followed those instructions. Most people did stay at home, at least for the first two months. Most people abided by mask wearing or social distancing. But your leaders failed you. And specifically, the federal government, the executive branch, could have had things in place for effective testing, contact tracing, where we could have gotten to the point of European countries, open things back up, and be able to know who has it, when they got it, and how to stop it before it spreads anymore. We didn't do that. And because of that, it's wasted time. It's a wasted year. And now we're just sitting here with our thumbs up our butts, waiting for a vaccine. And there's reason to be optimistic for that. It will probably work because, listen, medical science is just, it's incredible. And I think we need to make sure that the same people that are creating this vaccine, a lot of those same professionals were the ones telling us how to get through this in the first place. And it would be, I think, very hypocritical. And I know there's a large swath of the population that didn't want to abide by what these medical professionals were saying in April and May. But you can bet damn sure that when that vaccine comes out, they're going to be first in line. I wish there was some sort of way to track the people that were not acting the way they should, and their asses can get in the back of the line so I can take the vaccine first. And you, who abided by social distancing and wearing a mask, you could get the vaccine first. Sally, that's not how it's going to work out. But I don't want to direct too much anger towards fellow citizens, uh, fellow community members. It's really not about that. You know, it, it is about people in positions of power that failed us. And then that goes now to college presidents and athletic directors. And I'm not going to say that they failed us. I'm going to say it's been a really confusing bit of messaging from these individuals at institutions of higher learning that bring in hundreds of millions of dollars every year. This is a for-profit thing pretty much anymore. And I understand why some of them, including the University of Illinois, have had to kind of adopt that model because they aren't getting the funding from the state that they used to. Tuition goes up, all the fees and whatnot, they go up too. And before you know it, a four-year education, I can't even fathom what it costs. As Karen and I think about, well, are we going to have kids or not? Thinking about the college cost alone, I mean, I got things I want to do too. <laughs> you know, for selfish reasons, I'm looking at that thinking, ah, I don't know if I want to spend that much money on it. But this decision to go from, in the case of the Big Ten, a 10-game conference schedule released on, what was that, Thursday morning, Wednesday morning? think Wednesday. And now, sitting here on Monday on the cusp of college football being canceled. And thinking, well, what changed? What changed in those five days? I had similar frustrations about the way certain school districts were operating as well. What changed from when they instituted a hybrid model or in-school, in-person instruction to saying, actually, we're going to do online? Now, at the end of the day, the final decision is what matters most. Whether or not they waffled on it or took time, the biggest thing is what is the final decision and are you keeping your constituents or your students or your student athletes, are you keeping them safe? And it appears that that's the focus of Big Ten presidents now. Though I don't want to let them off the hook so easily because how much of this is about health and safety? How much of this is about absolving themselves of accountability? A fear, right? And I understand that word has been thrown around, and understandably so. How fearful are they that you could run into a situation where a student-athlete dies, and then that university is held responsible? So 
it's weird, right? It's as if like the right decision may be made, but I still question the motives in which they are made. Same could be said for athletic directors. I know Josh Whitman last week had a direct quote where he said that he wishes that people, and I am paraphrasing, but he said that he wishes people would not question the motives in terms of starting athletics up again. And I understand that. That's a bit of honesty from him saying, I wish people wouldn't question that because in his mind, I'm sure it is coming from a benevolent place. He's a former student athlete himself. And I think he does have the best interest of these student athletes in his heart. I really do think that is kind of pie in the sky as that may sound. I think he is different than other athletic directors in that way. But Josh, it would be impossible to not question the motives behind it. And that's going to happen. When you have, again, hundreds of billions, well, maybe hundreds of billions for all the universities, but hundreds of millions of dollars at stake, of course, we're going to question the motives. Of course, we're going to wonder, well, is it really safe to do this? Do you know that for a fact? Or are you just trying to play at least a few games so you recoup some of that TV money? But regardless, as we sit here in the second week of August with students about to arrive on campus, including right here in town, I mean, there's going to be moving days soon enough. And our dog walking situation, we'll take Rosie over to the six pack, walk around that because for some reason she's very skittish in the neighborhood. We're going to have to find a new spot because I don't want to be around an area with thousands of college students that may or may not have been at a kager or an apartment party the night before. No offense, college students, not saying I wouldn't be doing the same thing, but um, for our own safety, we're just going to find a nice quiet neighborhood. But yeah, this is approaching. This is right around the corner. Students coming back to campuses. And this is a guinea pig situation unlike any other we faced. And I hope that it works out okay. I know, thankfully, the University of Illinois has as many safety precautions and testing and all that in place. It's impressive, the infrastructure that they built in order to maybe handle this. But we'll see, right? It does seem, and I saw this on Twitter from, it was a very smart tweet, and I wish I could remember who had said it. So I apologize for not attributing this, but said, just wait for these universities. And this is a cynical view, but I understand where this person's coming from. Just wait for these universities to get all the students back to campus for just a bit, a month, month and a half, and then send them right back home when the risk becomes too much. And by that point, they would have gotten the money that they needed, or at least they could have shown an ability to make this work, right? And I think that's what a lot of different institutions, whether it be school districts, universities, college, they're trying to present plans to make it look as if they are doing their very best to make this work when in those same meetings, they may very well know that A, this isn't going to work and B, it's a question of when, not if. That's a very cynical view. I get it. I don't want to become too cynical, but if there's been an overriding frustration I've had in this whole situation from March to now, it has been an absence of leadership, and I could say Trump, of course, but it really does trickle down where you see a lot of people unwilling to make the decision that they know is probably right, and instead they have meetings, and they conduct surveys, and they ask questions, and then they just wait, and you wait, and you wait, and then it's like, just make a decision when you know what that decision is going to be. Because the facts of this pandemic, how you get it, how it goes from one person to the other, that hasn't changed. None of that has changed. And in fact, we're learning more that makes it seem like, oh, this might actually spread quicker and easier than we even thought. So it is frustrating to see that sort of dragging their feet, waiting to make the decision that they ultimately know is right. 
and at the expense of students, in this case, that will be moving back to the dorms only to maybe move right back in two months. And, you know, th- put yourself in the position of a kid going to college, 18 to 22, and that student's family. And I'm thinking about if I would have been in the same situation back when I went to the U of I 2005. In fact, as we're walking around the dorms last night, my dorm, Forbes, it's no longer there. It's one of the nice new ones on that corner. But it took me back to that move-in day. We paid a little bit of money to move in one day early and all the excitement with it. And even then understanding that this was only going to be a four-year thing. Usually kids don't always understand the full breadth of that, that you know, time goes very quick and four years is like a blink of an eye, snap of a finger. But I certainly recognize when I was moving in that day that, wow, this is this is going to be a really fast four years and I want to get the most out of it. I feel for the 18 to 22 year old kids where this is their one shot to do it. You know, you don't get a, a redo unless you're like Chris Farley and Tommy boy and you go to school for nine years. That's certainly the nine year plan may become a little more popular after all this, but it is unfortunate that this is part of their life being taken away. But I think that's where we're all kind of sharing in this. We're having parts of our lives taken away, the things that we enjoy doing the most. Now, if you enjoy just kind of chilling out at home and reading a book, fortunately for you, this hasn't affected you all that much compared to the person that might be more extroverted, that likes the large gatherings, that likes being with other people. But even with that, no, this affects everybody. You know, this has affected our actions, what we're able to do. And for that, this is where, you know, I try to always stop short on Twitter of getting in full-blown conflict. I, I will certainly share how I feel or what I'm thinking about, but I try not to do so in any sort of accusatory way towards other tweeters, other people that they're just living their life and they got their own frustrations and things to deal with. I know I've failed at that sometimes. I've tried to get better at it. I've tried to not take things as personally and certainly not try to turn things into a personal matter when someone disagrees with me. Uh, But if there is one thing I think we could all share in, it's that we're pissed off. We're frustrated that we're here and not out doing what we want and not getting ready for a college football season where we can wake up on Saturdays and make that first morning cocktail and get ready for Illinois, presumably to lose by 35 at home to a good team. But you know what? I take it because all those things matter. Going to lot 31 and feeling, God, just an amazing September Saturday where there's that chill in the air, let's say 58 degrees in the morning, and you got a hoodie on, but hey, right around nine o'clock, that sun, it's warming up, take the hoodie off, start going from the coffee, mixed drinks to a nice, icy captain and diet, settle in for a long day of just hanging out, outside, beautiful fall day. Well, that ain't gonna happen. And as a 33-year-old, I know, fingers crossed, knock on wood, that I have many more years to do that. I would be so pissed off if I were 60 plus, 70 plus, and thinking, you know what? Time's getting short, and you're telling me that these things I can't, these things I love doing, I can't do. That would be, oh God, I, you know, the frustration level that I feel sometimes. I'm still just kind of operating under the assumption that, well, next year when I'm 34, I'll be able to do all these things and hopefully be doing them for the next 50 plus years. You know, that's the hope. I know that there's no guarantee, but uh, if I were older, man, I'm a naturally antsy person. I want to be able to look forward to things and to do those things and not have anything come between me and doing those things. This year in that regard has been a disaster. 
but I think there are some positives that we can take from this. For example, from a sports perspective, we are seeing college athletes gain more and more of a voice. And the We Want to Play movement, hashtag We Want to Play, has been percolating over the last 48 hours, especially with Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and now some other big name athletes putting their names to it. And this is a very encouraging trend. Now, it is being co-opted by some people who are assuming that this is only about they want to play COVID be damned. No, they want to play with health and safety measures in place. There are scholarship things that are involved, eligibility, that if you were to opt out this year, you keep your eligibility for the next year. And a list of things that are about players' rights. So this goes beyond just, yeah, we want to play. You know, we know we might get sick, but we want to play. And certainly there are some student athletes that would say, you know what, I might get sick, but I want to play. And I understand that too. Well, again, when you're 18 to 22 years old, you would feel differently about this. You totally would. And it's hard for me to be as angry at them as I would be, let's say, 55-year-old person who won't wear a mask and admire because they should know better. Plus, they're a little bit more at risk. But I digress. This movement is encouraging in a lot of ways. It is long overdue. Now, this is bad news for athletic departments and for universities. For athletic departments, one, they're already losing revenue. You know, and, and I understand that people are going to be losing their jobs over this. We're talking millions of dollars. The University of Illinois, their athletic department, Josh Whitman said, I think $20 million revenue shortfall. Imagine trying to operate any business with $20 million less, and they have, they've had to let people go. They've had people, including Josh Whitman, take pay cuts, and kudos to the people in those positions that are doing that. They don't need to, and some could argue that it's just for optics, but no, that's still taking home less money than what you signed up for, and that's something that should be commended no matter uh, how bad the situation is. So this is even worse news, I think, for athletic departments going forward because the uncertainty of this pandemic, what it's done to the bottom line, is only going to be exacerbated by the fact that players are feeling emboldened. And it's long overdue. Talking with Ryan Baker, I think it was about a month and a half ago, about what would the flying Illini guys think about all this? How would they have responded or acted during this? And he basically indicated that they would have probably been the forefront of it. And I remember thinking distinctly as I bought a stitched D. Brown jersey in 2004. It was that it was that summer, knowing that was going to be a really good team, and they had a game day spirit. I think back then it probably cost about 60 bucks. Really nice stitched Nike jersey. And of course, there's no name on the back. Number 11 on the front and the back, but there's no brown because you cannot make money off the likeness of players. But you can with their number, at least. And we all know the amount of money that D. Brown brought into this university, to all the businesses. I mean, my God, Legends, Murphy's, the places on Green Street. I mean, if there were royalties to be paid to college athletes for the amount of money that you were able to bring in, D. Brown and Darren Williams and Lutherhead and those guys would have been millionaires before they even stepped off campus. So yeah, this is long overdue. And this is something that they should be fighting for. Again, back to the political, I guess this would be political. But, you know, after being a part of a teacher's union and seeing how the negotiations go, and that often the people in power, guess what? They don't have your best interest at heart. They have money as the number one concern. And we don't need to sugarcoat it any more than that. To see these players step up like this is encouraging. And of course they want to play. Why wouldn't they? They work their asses off to get to this point. And not just in college, but think about all the preparation leading up to becoming a college athlete. And now you're told that you can't practice your trade. Why? Because there's a disease. Oh no, will it affect me? Probably not. 
but we just aren't 100% sure that someone won't get very sick or die. That would be frustrating because I know if I were in that position, 1822, and I knew that I only get this four-year window to get the college experience, and I'm being told that you're going to lose one of those years, I'd be frustrated too. But the unfortunate part of it is there are larger concerns than whether or not these football games are played, whether or not these athletes get to practice their trade this year. And that is the fact that we are in the middle of a once in a lifetime pandemic that is killing about a thousand people every day and shows no signs of slowing down. So while I understand the frustration and I want to be empathetic towards it, I am. There's also another element where it's, well, I get it, but it's just how it is. It sucks. You know, we would all admit it sucks. For the fans, it sucks that you won't get those moments on college football Saturdays. Or for Illini volleyball fans, the ones that go those Friday nights into a raucous home environment at Huff Hall for one of the best volleyball programs in the country. You won't get that this fall. It does lead me to Illini basketball and thinking, oh my God, you, you don't let this affect basketball. And I would hope, I certainly hope, that the NBA is given that template and that the Big Ten recognizes they could maybe institute some sort of bubble situation, though I know the moral and ethical concerns of telling 18 to 22-year-old college kids who are not being compensated to hole up in a hotel for two months, only take online classes, and you know play 20 conference games. I understand the concerns that would go with that. Though, just like we're seeing with the We Want to Play movement, I think most of those college basketball players would opt in and say, yeah, we want to play. But this player movement may actually increase the chances of that happening. They get their voices, I hope, at the bargaining table here when it comes to college basketball and how we would safely carry that out. You get players actively involved saying, yeah, we'll do it as long as we can be insured of these things. And then you get these universities and athletic departments and conferences enough lead time to get the resources needed to do it safely, and we could get it done this year. I mean, to me... And it's easy to say as an Illini fan where football is what it is you know, <laughs> and basketball is, whoa, I need to see that this year. It's easy for me to say, eh, okay, listen, I will sacrifice football in the fall as long as we can devote our full energy to getting a college basketball season played. It's not going to be at State Farm Center. It's not going to be in front of fans. So let's just, let's just get rid of that idea in our heads right now because maybe it is time to start taking expect the worst, hope for the best as the approach to avoid any more disappointments. Because I know that when we did the podcast last uh, Thursday about the schedule, I said from the outset, we're going to presume that a 10-game schedule is played so we can actually do a podcast having fun with that schedule. And even though I said they go 3-7, and seven, I would have loved to seen that team go 3-7. and seven. But for basketball, there's got to be a path. There needs to be a focus an emphasis on getting that done and getting it done safely. And there is money involved. I understand the money component, but hopefully that's actually something that can be a, a positive motivator for athletic departments and for conferences. You want your money? Great. Figure out how to do it safely. Huh, man, I, I don't know, everybody. You know, as we sit here, it's August 10th, and I remember thinking, gosh, I can't wait to do, you know, post-game pods, or even how we were doing back in basketball season, where maybe we would do the second half of an Illini football game, record that, and then have some immediate post-game reaction. You know, there were a lot of cool ideas that we had floating around, but 
as time went on, you know, you kind of table them because you are uncertain that the games will be played. And as we sit here, of course, it looks like they won't be. But the final point today is this is the blame game for not people in power, like leaders, but this is the blame game in terms of sports media. I need to address that real quick because there was a podcast right before I was gone for a week that I spoke about Clay Travis, and he's just one guy. But unfortunately, he has a pretty large listening base, and they're big fans of his. I mean, they are on board with a lot of what he has been saying, not just now at Outkicked, I think is the name of the network, but before that. And we're seeing this narrative from him and others perpetuate that there's a large swath of sports media that didn't want these games to be played. His argument essentially was that a lot of sports media types are liberal and they want to show you, they want to rub your face in it and show that, ha, 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 we told you the virus is scary and and we aren't going to get sports now and ha, ha, we told you, which is some really elementary school stuff to think that any sports media person who makes a living off of covering games would be petty enough to potentially sacrifice their own well-being and their own income to rub some conservative faces in the mud and say, ha, 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 told you it was scary. So the whole premise was silly from the outset, but it's continuing to be perpetuated. And you're seeing its tentacles reach into people you know. It could be a text conversation. It could be on Twitter. And you shake your head thinking, no, there is probably not a single sports media person that doesn't want these games to be played. I would much rather come down here and just riff on a game because that's what we do. This is why I got into talk radio in the first place and then into podcasting because sports are a passion of mine. I mean, granted, I I suck at playing them, but I always like talking about them. So to then tell me or anybody else that, see, you wanted this to happen. You, You didn't want sports all that much in the first place is just, I mean, asinine is a kind way to put it. It doesn't make any damn sense. So I would hope that as these conferences cancel their seasons, which again, I hate it. It's inevitable. Just like it was back in March, we knew those tournament cancellations were inevitable. This certainly feels that way. But as they happen and as the news comes down, you know that this is going to turn into some sort of argument from the Clay Travises of the world that essentially sports media, they were part of this. They have blood on their hands, not literally, but figuratively, for why this is all happening. And then it also gets lumped into a larger conversation about the softness of America. America's soft. You know, this goes back to the idea of uh, participation trophies, which I don't even know the last time I saw a participation trophy. Uh, Things from back in the day, like the war on Christmas, which doesn't exist, but what the hell. It's all these little straw men arguments that are built up to protect this old idea of America as the super strong-armed, we-do-what-we-want place. When in actuality, the soft thing in my mind Being soft in the face of a pandemic is being an asshole to your neighbor and not wearing a mask and only caring for yourself. To me, that is a far softer way to handle this pandemic than actually trying to confront it and figure out how the hell can we get over this thing and get on the other side so we can have sports safely, so I can go to concerts, so I can hang out with a bunch of people inside if I wish to do so. That, to me, is what I'm looking towards. How do we get to that? I think everybody is in some way, shape, or form, but that conversation in terms of how we progress and how we get to that place is not being helped by these strawman arguments about the sports media is at fault 
America's getting soft. That ain't helping the conversation. At the end of the day, people are dying. People are getting sick. And they're getting sick and dying at a higher rate than the flu. And we don't really know what this thing is. So it is perfectly reasonable to be concerned about COVID-19, not necessarily cower in fear from it, but have some humility in the face of something that we don't really know a lot about and continue to learn. And what we do learn ain't so great. So yeah, I know there's driving deaths. There's deaths from the flu and cancer. There's deaths from everything. But those are known quantities. And in many of those cases, other than the flu, because of course that's transmissible or transmittable. Again, I'm not sure which one. (laughs) Other than that, it's very much a, oh, that happened to this person, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily going to spread to others. You know, I hope that we can get to a point sooner rather than later. I mean, even if the NFL starts up, at least that gives us something to look forward to with football. But even that seems tenuous given the circumstance. I I want to look back on this year very soon. I hope that next fall or hell, next spring, next February, watching the Illini play Iowa in the Big Ten bubble up in Rosemont, Illinois, since they got all those hotels and they got all state arena up there. I hope beyond hope that we can look back and just say, wow, okay, that was rough. We got through it. Uh, But I do worry a little bit about the long-term effects of the discourse. And some would say, well, Carp, you're part of that discourse. You know, you're adding to this. You're saying essentially that your opinion's right and the other person's opinion is wrong. And yeah, okay, fair point. Uh, (laughs) I think it would be hard to get into talking behind a microphone if you didn't have a little bit of an ego and a sense that, yeah, I know what I'm talking about. And God knows I do. There are some, sometimes where depending on the argument, I'm like, no, I'm right. I know I'm right. That can be bullheaded. And that isn't helpful either. So I understand that. But When it comes to this, you know, we all essentially want the same end goal, which is a return to doing the things that we enjoy doing. But in this process, in figuring out how we get to that point, um, I think sometimes we just need to remind ourselves that the end goal being the same, it actually means something. And that casting dispersions on others like you know the sports media guys that make a living covering games or america getting too soft whatever these are distractions don't get distracted here this is a failure from the very top we have dealt with this in such a poor way and people are dying because of it and and in a much more selfish way we aren't being able to do the things we want to do because the people at the very top failed us don't lose sight of that You know, it reminds me a little bit of back in the Beckman era and, you know, the David Thiessens of the world and other people, they would get so pissed off when I essentially said, this guy is incompetent. He doesn't know what he's doing. Now, I think in hindsight, we would mostly agree, even though Harry Black likes Tim Beckman, of course, and he seems like a nice enough guy, but I think we would agree that for the most part, Tim Beckman was an incompetent leader for this football program, incompetent representative for the university, not good enough. So here's what I'm saying to you. The same way that I said about Beckman leading Illinois football. Donald Trump is not fit to be your president. He's an awful leader, an awful man. He's a terrible representative for this country. And unfortunately, you know, Tim Beckman, he sucks at his job. We lose a few games. Donald Trump sucks at his job. We lose a lot of life. And that's a far bigger deal. So, you know, enough of the euphemisms. You know, this does matter. 
politics are inextricably linked to sports right now because the absence of sports is directly due to political reasons, namely the executive branch and their failure to come up with any sort of plan to get us out of this mess. Get pissed off about that. Stop going with the straw man arguments that aren't going to go anywhere and aren't going to solve a damn thing. Get active, get pissed, and figure out how do we get on the other side of this thing. And I can assure you that what's presently in the White House right now, they have no interest in fixing this for you. None. They don't care. All right, that's the soapbox. And that's as direct as I'll probably get about that. And if you made it this far, then hopefully that talk didn't piss you off too much. But it is something that, you know, thinking about a wasted year, I've always been very much a carpe diem, no pun intended, person that tries to maximize the time that I have here by doing the things that I enjoy doing and hanging out with friends and all that sort of stuff, you name it. And I'm sure that most of you are the same way. I mean, we all try to make sure that we get the most out of the time that we have on this earth. And we're getting a year taken away from us. And these athletes are getting a year taken away from the peak of their game, you know, and and memories that, cliche or not, will last them a lifetime. Those are getting taken away because we screwed this up. What is the answer? I, I don't know. I, I, I guess the simple answer is just listen to the people that actually know what the hell they're talking about. Don't be anti-science. Scientists don't have an agenda. You know, they're, they're trying to do their jobs and they're trying to inform. And often, as John Paul, old uh, journalism professor, tweeted at me today, often it's the messenger who gets shot. Don't shoot the messenger, literally or figuratively. And don't get angry at the people that are telling you, this is bad, this is what we need to do to fix it, if you don't like the solution that they pose. This is what got us in the mess in the first place. I'm not doing that. I need to get my hair cut at Supercuts today. I don't want to do that. You know, and at the end of the day, stuff like that is just such petty, selfish crap that we can do better. And frankly, at this point, we need to. Otherwise, we're going to be in this situation for longer than any of us would want to be. I'll take a spring college football season. Give it to me. I'd love it. I will take Illini basketball in a bubble. But there are still things that we need to do before we even get to that point. All right. I'm spent. Gonna take a little bit of coffee here. (sighs) Don't normally do that. But that was actually one of those where I just hit record and went. And uh, often it'll be a situation where I might have to pause every five minutes or so, kind of collect my thoughts going forward. But this is something that's really been percolating in my mind, not just over the last four or five days and not just last night when I went on Twitter and said, this is BS. <laughs> I'm angry. You know, I'm angry that we are in this position and this is who you should be blaming, not this. Uh, listen, I understand that opinions are opinions. There are going to be holes and flaws in mine. These are not uh, by any means impenetrable um fact-only opinions, right? I know that it's coming from a place of emotion, too, and I think that we're all coming from a place of emotion, hence the conversations you see on Twitter or the conversations that you may have over the phone or via text with whoever it may be, with your significant other, with, with friends, any of that. We're all feeling more emotional than we usually would be, and that's okay. You know, I, I mean, my God, if you weren't feeling emotional more than normal during this circumstance, then check your pulse. But uh, regardless, I, I hope that even after all that, I don't want this to be something that would turn you into a cynic or a nihilist and something that would make you think, you know what, F it all. And there was someone I was texting with last night and, you know, just looking down the barrel of a lot of despair right now. And how do you react to it? And what I try to do is always channel it into some sort of 
positive thing. Now, sometimes that just manifests itself in the form of coming down to the basement and talking in this microphone. Over the course of this pandemic, a lot of it's been recording the album that it's coming out next Thursday, by the way. I'll give you a sneak peek in a later episode. I won't try to push it too much, but I think you'll like it. If you like rock and roll, you'll like this album. So for me, it's usually a creative outlet that I will channel it through. But I don't know. I mean, it's also gotten to a place where I've tried to be more socially active and try to be more cognizant of that. And for 33 years, essentially, I have been fairly passive when it comes to that and not very active about it. But that's got to stop because what's the old adage? Be the change you wish to see in the world. Well, there's some truth to that. And, you know, this podcast is at its core a sports podcast. It will remain so. But every now and then, it does offer an opportunity to try to speak to what I perceive to be the actual threats or things that actually could be fixed, that need to be fixed. And we've covered that the last few months. I appreciate any of you that have went along in that ride. And I hope you stick around as we get back to a very sportsy podcast. But in the meantime, this is what's in the top of mind for everybody. And it's okay to stumble through areas that maybe we haven't talked about before or maybe feel a little bit uncomfortable talking about. So thanks for going along that ride with me. I I want any of you to try to maintain some positivity. And I have to tell myself that. But try to maintain that in the face of what I think we would mostly agree is one crappy year. Just is. We'll get out of it, I hope, I think. Uh, But in the meantime, that makes it all the more essential to just really kind of hold on to the things that matter the most to you and the relationships uh, that got you to where you are in the first place. And compassion, just care for one another. There's the lesson of the day, compassion. Have compassion for one another. But before I get too far off on a soapbox tangent, I think it's about time to wrap it up. We're almost at an hour here, and I appreciate you listening to one of these solo pods. We'll see what we do later this week, but a lot of that will be contingent on all the news that comes out, and God knows. I mean, there's been crazy weeks in terms of sports news. This may top them all. When you're talking about college football and all these conferences and all the money that's tied up into it, bowing out all within a week, that will be something that I hope never, ever, ever happens again. But hey, on that bright note... Got to remind you, DP Doe online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices. dpdoe.com. Fourth and Kirby online at fourthandkirby.com. Use coupon code 200 level at fourthandkirby.com for 10% off your order. And State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. For Champagne Showers Podcast Network, the Illini Inquirer, the Illini Inquirer, just IlliniInquirer.com. Uh, Got to appreciate their partnership in the relaunch of the 200 level though i guess we are approaching god this has been uh 70 or 80 episodes since we got going again so we're cruising along and we look forward to doing about two a week for the foreseeable future so thanks again for listening i really do appreciate it i hope you're all doing well stay safe stay cool and we will see you later this week it is the 200 level